Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Psalm 107 and verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say, I'm redeemed. We just did what the scripture asked us to do. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You ever notice this in life that sometimes there's an importance to us speaking things out? I've talked about this before, this idea of confession. Um, it's not necessarily a Catholic thing or a Protestant thing. It's something we do as believers, and it's to say the same thing that God says. It's basically agreeing with God. And so God here, through I would say that the writer here, through inspiration of God, is saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. How many know there's a lot of enemies in life? See, sometimes, sometimes we like to boil it down to, you know, I usually jokingly refer to the caricature of the, the red suit, pitchfork, and the horns thing. But sometimes I've found that we can be our enemy, that others can be the enemy. And what this is saying is that he's redeemed us from that hand, from that idea. So I want to talk today in a new series that we're starting for this month called The Message of Christmas. And and I want to talk specifically today about the idea of being redeemed. Say redeemed. You know, several years ago, um, you know, it's hard to admit this, but I had a really major addiction. I was addicted to Coke. Has anyone? Not the white powder substance, the drink. Let me clear that, clarify that. But I literally had an addiction to it. it. It was my thing. This might sound crazy, and I hope you don't think less of me, but I would drink at least two liters of Coke a day. Yeah, wow. Yeah, don't judge me. But I would. And, you know, this is my early 20s, but even working in construction for years, I mean, we'd have coolers just filled with ice and filled with cans of pop. As I was thinking about this idea and this story, I had this ritual that I would do where I would go to Blockbuster Video. How how many remember Blockbuster? And I would rent like the latest PlayStation game and I would get that PlayStation game. And then on the way home, we had this party store that was literally right out in front of the apartment complex where I lived. And I would go in there and I would get three things, no, four things, say four things. A one liter bottle of cherry Coke, a big bag of Frito Scoops, And what goes with Frito Scoops? Bean dip. Come on, Frito-Lay bean dip, jalapeno bean dip. And how many remember there was this bag, it was a white bag with a clear window and you could see through it and they were called Sweet 16 Chocolate Donuts. Anyone? Oh, yeah, see? All you heathens with me? I know it sounds crazy, but I would literally just set this up in front of me and consume all of that within my video game my gaming time, you know? But I had such an addiction. I'm thinking maybe it wasn't pop, maybe it was sugar. What do you think? But I had this addiction to uh, Coca-Cola, and I I remember I came to this point where I thought, you know, I need to really be healthy. I'm going to start being healthy. So rather than switching to water, I went to Diet Coke. Because I was told by all the advertising, that's so much better. So, you know, high fructose or aspartame? I guess you pick. Which one's better than the other? I was working with a guy, though. This was so funny. He came into me one day, 
came into work. He goes, dude, I just saw this awesome news report. Now, mind you, he and I both were addicted to pop. Like that was our thing, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or if we work long days, dinner, we go through the drive-through and we get our diet Cokes because we were on a diet. For some reason, it came with a double cheeseburger and a large fry. Don't quite understand that. But he came in and he said, I saw this news report. I'm like, man, you're excited. What's this about? He goes, they said that if you're going to drink pop, the best way to drink pop is through fountain, the fountain version. I'm like, well, we do that. He goes, yeah. And I said, why? He goes, because they put ice in it. As the ice melt down, melts down, you get water, so you're actually consuming water too. <laughs> I said, this was on the news? I said, dude, I'm a pop addict. I'll admit that, but that sounds really dumb. He goes, no, we argued about it. He's like, dude, this is how you get your water. Anyway, needless to say, I think we both were addicts when it came to pop. But let me tell you this, it's been over a decade since I've touched a Coke or a Diet Coke. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Woo, he's been redeemed. This, let's start running around the church, right? But literally, I was in bondage to this substance. I was in bondage to Coca-Cola. I was in bondage to Diet Coke. But I can literally say that I was redeemed. I'm set free from pop addiction because the word redeemed literally means to buy back out of slavery. Now, I'm kind of, I guess, talking lightly about being redeemed. But do you realize that we've been redeemed from sin? The bondage of sin no longer has a hold on us. But pastor, I still struggle. That's okay. We all struggle. But there's many facets of our life where we have to see our redemption. You have to see that you're redeemed before you can even walk in it or believe. Do you, does that make sense? It's believing it. It's seeing it. It's speaking it. It's beginning to walk in it. And so I want to talk about this idea of being redeemed today. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verse 20, he says, When you were the slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. But look at verse 22. But now, say but now. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. I love what Paul's declaring here. He's saying that there was a time where you didn't see any way out. All you heard was the voice of sin. Now, we've talked about this quite a bit, but if you've never heard this, maybe you're watching this later, you never heard this, the word sin in the Greek is the word hamartia, and it literally means to live outside of your true identity. It's living from false identity. And so there's always been this voice that would tell us, this is who you are, this is what you're about. And Paul's saying, listen, you don't have to listen to that voice anymore. Awaken to this voice of spirit that's speaking to you. And he's saying, you've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you. What a surprise. But look at this next phrase. This is so cool. A whole, healed, put-together life, when? Right now. Now that speaks volumes to me. Because I used to think the gospel was only about afterlife and something later in the far beyond. Is that included? Absolutely. God is eternal, right? God is everlasting. I get that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But Paul's very specific here. He says, a whole, healed, put together life, say it again, right. right now. You know, when Jesus came, his main message was repent, 
which means what? To change your mind. Turn around, yes. Change your mind in the Greek. The Hebrew means to turn around. You put them together. First of all, Bruce, how do you turn around? By changing your mind. So Jesus literally is saying, listen, you need to change your mind. I want you to see something differently. But he didn't stop there. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. You have people running around trying to please God through ritual and sacrifice. And and God would acquiesce through that system and work on it. But eventually he wanted people to see that everything he created them to be was always there from the beginning. His plan never changed. So he's like, change your mind so you can see the truth of who you are and whose you are. Isn't that a beautiful message? But see, what I found is that's really the struggle, isn't it? When I find myself struggling with addiction or sin or acting or living out a false identity, it's because I don't know who I am in certain areas of my life. But as I awaken to that, I begin to think differently, which then causes me to act differently and speak differently. So that's really the crux of what it is, uh, the gospel in a nutshell, if you will. But he says, a whole healed, put together life right now, look at this, with more and more of life on the way. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, I've came to give you life and life more abundantly. I think it's the amplified version that says life in abundance to the full till it overflows. Isn't that cool? But look at this. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift, say God's gift, is real life. Eternal life delivered by Jesus, our master. You know, when I think of this idea of eternal life, you know, some of us don't realize this, but this was really a Jewish term. There was a man who asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And some, somehow, I don't think on purpose or with, you know, bad motives, we've turned this into the idea of living forever and that the man was asking, what must I do to go to heaven? But for a Jew, that's not what they were asking. That term eternal life was, how do I live the best life now on this earth according to Torah? That's what a Jew would think when they'd say eternal life. The first time I heard that, it really threw me off. And as you begin to, and I've said this before, that it's important that we understand the first century Judaism and Jewish culture. Jesus was a Jew, and many times to understand what Jesus was saying, we have to understand that culture and time. But one of the key phrases is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many know that the person who dies doesn't inherit? So if he's saying, what must I do to inherit, he's saying, what must I do in order to obtain this here and now while I'm still living? So how do I obtain the highest level of living right here and right now? And look at this. It's a gift from God. But God's gift is real life, eternal life. It's a life where we're not working hard for sin and getting the pension of death. It's a life where there's more and more life. It's a life where we're experiencing healing and wholeness and and a put-together life here and now. Do you see that? And what I love about this, this translation that says, but God's gift, how many know that a gift is given freely, not earned? If you have to work for something, it's not a gift, it's a reward. And I, I'm all about rewards. I've used the idea before that when you go to work, I mean, 
if, if your boss came to you on Friday, payday, and said, hey, man, thank you so much for every, everything you've done, and pat you on the back, and you're like, where's my check? And you're like, no, I thought you were just doing it for a pat on the back. I thought you were just doing it as a gift to me. Most of us would probably quit that day and still want our check because we're working for a reward. We're working for a wage. But what I'm finding is this whole relationship with God, God's not looking for you to pay him for anything. Everything that God gives is a gift, and gifts are given freely. And what I see through this gift of redemption, these are all, these are all gifts. Redemption's a gift. You didn't earn it. God gives it to you as a gift. In this thing called redemption, God literally has reinstated our value. And let me add, it, let me add this to it. Your value never changed in God's eyes but your value changed in your eyes. So he reinstates that value. He brings you to a place where you begin to see, wow. And think about this. God desires relationship with us. Let me make it personal. God desires us. It's hard to fathom that. For years in this, and again, we're on a journey where there's growth involved, right? And so the beauty of God, who is love, Love will allow you to pretty much believe anything about it or them. Or let me say it this way. God will allow you to believe anything about him that that you need to to stick with him. But eventually through the journey, hopefully you begin to see a clearer picture of who God is. And so for me, I thought that my church attendance, which by the way is a great thing, nothing wrong with it, right? We shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I thought that the amount that I gave in an offering... By the way, giving is not a bad thing. We're built generously like God. We should give, right? I thought that my amount of praying or Bible reading would somehow give me more love or grace or, or get God to notice me. Hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. But the thing is, none of that brings God any closer. God's always close. God's our source of life. And so it's not just that that. God desires relationship, God desires us. Even if we've been abused, even if we've been broken, even if we're lost, that's why I love the parable of the lost sheep. It says there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, one got lost, and the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. I mean, how many parables do we need to hear before we realize God literally desires relationship with me? God's not scared of me. He's not scared of my bad actions. In fact, he wants me to have closer relationship so I become more aware of him and who I truly am so that my actions change. It's not through fear. It's not through manipulation. It's through finding out who you are, plain and simple. So even in those moments of abuse, of brokenness and loss, whatever state, we are valuable to God. Say, I'm valuable to God. And you say, Pastor, how can you say that? You, you don't know me. Well, I go back to the creation story. I see that God in Genesis establishes his own opinion of mankind. Not mankind's opinion of ourselves, but his. He makes us in his image and likeness. He says that he creates man and says, this is very good. He never said very bad. At any point in scripture, did he change his idea of who, of who man was? Now, again, we have changed that idea. But in that moment of creation, God creates us in his image and likeness. He says that we're very good. He deems us as sons and daughters. Why? Because we're valuable to him. 
I want you to say it again. I have value to God. So what's the message? Well, basically God's saying, I love you. I see your value. I value you. You may not see it, but I do. And to me, this is what redeems us. This brings us redemption. It's accepting the truth that God sees value in us. And so that's why redemption is so important. So I just want to take the next few minutes and, you know, we could go for hours and hours. And I know you would love that, but we're not going to do that today. But I want to look at some benefits of redemption. That's great, Pastor, that, that we have redemption, that we've been redeemed, that we've been bought back, you know, for, out of slavery. But what does that really mean to me? How does that apply to me? Let's look at a few of these benefits. Benefit number one, forgiveness of sin. Now, this is one of those things that you hear in church, I would say, quite often. Now, sometimes it may come across like it's a limited forgiveness. It's dependent on you. But it also is kind of scary for people when they realize, or at least they hear this idea, that God has given and offered complete and total forgiveness to you, past, present, and future. It's done. Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross again every time you mess up. In fact, what's really wild is that Scripture tells us that Jesus was the lamb that was slaughtered from the foundation of the world. Now, I know it's hard to conceive because we operate in time. That's how we function. But there's so much more depth and meaning to this. But then Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice. Now, this Hebrews was written to Hebrews. It was written to Jews who would go yearly and offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sin. And here we now have Jesus, who's not only sacrificed, but the scriptures, especially Hebrews, calls him our high priest. You're like, what does it have to, it's a Jewish term. The high priest was the one that would offer sacrifice to cover your sin every single year. And now we have Jesus, the final, once and for all, our high priest, who for all time has forgiven sin. And that God remembers your sin no more. This is really hard to grasp onto. And I think it's because people go, well, if, if, I'm, if I'm forgiven completely and totally, then, then that means I have freedom to just go do whatever I want. Mm, I think when you actually understand your complete forgiveness, you won't think like that. If you think like that, you don't understand your forgiveness. You don't understand grace. Come on. But in Romans 3... 23 and 24. How many know I always talk about context? Because sometimes we're quoted 23 without 24 and you're not, you're not getting the full gospel. Look at this. For all have sinned, say all have sinned, and come short or fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely. It goes on. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I used to kind of get this wrong, and I think this has helped me understand that once-for-all forgiveness, is that I thought this meant that, man, everyone's messed up, and you're so far away from God, meaning that God has separated himself from you, wants nothing to do with you, until you make a decision to follow Jesus. But if you look at the original language, how many know that the study of the Bible, it's not reading the English versions, it's actually studying the original language, this idea of sin, we just talked about it. All of us have lived from false identity and we come short of the glory of God. You might have heard this, that word glory is the word doxa in the Greek and it means having a good opinion of another. 
So literally the reason that we live out a false identity is because we in our mind have fallen short of God's good opinion of us. When you understand that God has a good opinion of you and it's never changed, you begin to see your life change because you're not living out of that. I mean, think about this. And this is why I have a problem with, I love my fellow pastors and preachers. But when I hear messages that say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I want to go, you're not a sinner. Listen, if you think that you're a dirty, low-down, scuzzy sinner, how are you going to act? It's like, well, I guess this is who I am, so that's what I'm going to do. I've said this before, but, you know, Paul in his letters to the church, especially Corinthians, who were a crazy bunch that were doing stuff that even the pagans wouldn't do, he calls them saints the entire letter. Both letters, he calls them saints. Why? Because Paul was calling them who Paul saw them because that's how God saw them. Well, I'm not acting like one, but you still are. And when you begin to see you are, you're going to act differently. It makes sense? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, look at this, being justified, how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Are you catching this? Your being justified has nothing to do with you. My God. That's powerful. Because for me, I used to think it was about what I did. I'm just working it out, man. I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to work harder. I'm jumping over the hurdles. I'm jumping through the hoops. But what does Paul say? We're justified freely, meaning it's a gift from God. By his grace, through the redemption of who? Christ Jesus. See, as human beings, it's, it's so easy. We want to put something on ourselves. I have to do something in order to earn this. But the thing is, you can't earn a gift. I will preach this as long as God allows me to preach and teach and share. Because you trying harder is not getting you to your goal. In fact, it's frustrating. That religious treadmill is frustrating. Sometimes some people just give up because they think, I can't do it anyway. And then they leave the church. They leave relationships that are vital to their life because they feel that I'm not valuable. I can't do this. And the whole time God's saying, I'm not asking you to do it. I've done it for you. Accept that. And once you do, you'll begin to see your actions change because you begin to see yourself differently. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. So forgiveness comes with redemption. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, in him, say in him, not in you. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Look at this, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see how all this just goes back to God? Are you catching this? It's just all going back to God. Well, pastor, does that mean I don't do anything? Yeah, you receive the gift. I say it all the time that, you know, pretty soon we'll have, I'll have that example of the Christmas tree up here with the gifts. But, you know, on Christmas morning, I mean, or a birthday or anytime you're given a gift, uh, the other day I had a local business call me up. I had done some work for them. 
And they'd already taken care of me financially. They've already done all that. And I went in. You know what they did? They gave me a card, and it had some gift cards in it. And they say, we just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate what you did. And I'm thinking, but you already paid me. But that card, I didn't earn the card. They wanted to bless me because it's a gift. But how many know if they would have said, here, enjoy this? And I would have said, oh, thank you. That's awesome. That's so cool. Thank you. That's great. That card looks really nice. I don't know what's in it. That's so cool. They would have said, you're kind of weird. What's going on? Can you put your hand out? Oh, 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 okay. So when a gift's given freely, in order to benefit from the gift, I have to receive it. See, just because God has given you these gifts doesn't mean that you'll benefit from them unless you say, you know what? I want to receive that gift. But here's the problem. It goes right back to the story again. We don't feel like we are worth it. We don't feel like we have value and deserve it. And God's saying, I'm not giving you a gift because you think you deserve it or not. I'm giving you a gift because I love you and it's freely given. That's the gospel. And just a little side note, because you know I'm all about side notes. This word forgiveness here says the forgiveness of our trespasses that comes through redemption through Jesus, right? This word forgiveness in the Greek, it means, of course, forgiveness or pardon of sins. But if you dig deeper, it literally means letting them go as if they had never been committed. See, I think the problem that we have with forgiveness a lot of times is we believe that God forgives like we supposedly forgive. And I'm just as guilty of this. I forgive you. I mean, even with our kids, yeah, you're forgiven. And then two weeks later, we go, remember when? Listen, I'm just as guilty. Listen, if we ever bring stuff back up, we haven't truly forgiven. Ouch, man, that hurts, doesn't it? But here's the beauty. God lets them go as if they'd never been committed. That's hard for me to even now, as far as I've grown in my journey, to receive sometimes because I'm like, God, you... You don't remember this? But even God inspired prophets to write things like, he remembers your sin as far as the east is from the west. Remember as a kid going, what does that mean? But then one day, like I got this, I was in geography class or something, and I got this idea that, you know, if you're going north, eventually you go south. If you go south, eventually you go north, right? You ever had a kid go, hey, are we going up to Florida? I'm like, yep, we're going all the way around the world to get there, buddy. But here's the thing, east to west never changes. If you're going east, you're never going west. Come on. Aren't you glad it wasn't? He remembers your sin as far as the north is from the south. You're like, so 50% of the time I'm okay. But think about that. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers your sin no more. We think that God is some kind of accountant who's up there counting every bad deed you've ever done when literally he has given us a gift of complete forgiveness. And he's saying, will you receive it? This is more for you than it is for me. Because if you don't receive it, you won't think you're valuable or deserving and you won't receive any free gift that I give you. That's powerful. Benefit number one, forgiveness of sin. Benefit number two, this is awesome. Adoption into the family of God. Say, I'm a child of God. Someone didn't say that because they don't feel like they are. But here's the thing. Through redemption, 
we have adoption into the family of God. In Galatians 4, verses 5 and 6, listen to this. It says, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That, By the way, that applies to you ladies too. Read that again. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive, say receive. That, that can literally be translated in the original language, take. We can take the adoption as sons. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons. I love that Paul goes on here. Because it's like he's, he's starting out by saying, hey guys. And again, he's talking to Jews who were under the law, right? Even these Greeks who some had practiced Judaism or understood that concept. He's saying to those who are under the law that you might receive the adoption as sons. And then he goes on to say, and because you are sons, it's like he really wants to hammer this, you know, nail this, hammer this home, whatever the, the phrase is. But look at this. And because you are sons, look what God does. He sent forth the spirit of his son, say Holy Spirit, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. I, I just thought about this. He's speaking to a church in Galatia with a lot of Greeks who really weren't part under the law. They, they really had nothing to do with that system. And then remember this on Mars Hill where he's preaching this sermon to a bunch of people who were selling idols and different gods and he's trying to introduce them to the one true God. And he's, he, he speaks to people who know nothing of this God and says, in him, God, the true God, we live, move, and have our being. There's something about the language Paul's using here. He said he sent forth Holy Spirit into your hearts. We could say the very center of who we are, the, the, the place of mind, will, and emotion, how we think, how we function. And what spirit doing the whole time? Crying out, Abba, Father. Now, I, I remember, I don't know who it was, but I heard someone who said they took a trip to the Holy Land, Israel, and they were passing by this playground. And as they went by the playground, they heard these little kids playing, but they would hear kids saying, Abba, Abba. Abba, it literally means daddy. It's like if we go by a playground here in English, you'd hear daddy, mommy. It's a parental thing. Literally, Paul's saying, listen, guys, even if you don't think that you've been adopted in the family, and I'm, I'm just going to reiterate that you're sons, not only that, God put his very spirit within you to constantly remind you that you're his child. Isn't that awesome? But the question is, are we listening? Because we're sons and daughters of God. God is our father. In fact, the word father in the Greek means source. God is the source of our life. It's our very life source. In him we live, move, and have our being. And I know you might be thinking what I thought several years ago. I was like, well, that's great. I mean, I'm adopted into the family. 21st century view of adoption, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot of great families out there who adopt children. But we've all heard stories of uh, kids who were adopted and they just never really felt part of the family. There was something with them in their, their understanding and their mindset that thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of second class. I'm, I'm not really bloodborne. But we're not understanding the first century idea that Paul was advocating here. Do you know at this time of the first century, there was actually uh, a law on the Roman Syrian law books 
And it actually lays down this principle of adoption saying that a man can never put away, never reject, never renounce an adopted son. And it goes on to say that you, you have to have good grounds to dismiss or put away a blood-born son. But what's crazy about the law, and it's remarkable to, me, remarkable to me, is that the adopted son has a stronger position than the son by birth. So literally, with good grounds or good cause, according to this law, you could dismiss or put away a blood-born, like birth child, but it was against the law to ever put down or put away an adopted child. Do you see the difference in this time? Paul wasn't saying, hey man, God reluctantly adopted you for orphans who had no family. No, no, no. He's saying, no, no, you're adopted into the family of God, which means no one, including God himself, will put you out of the family. Come on. That's, same thing, Bruce. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we think, oh, I've gone a little too far this time. You can never go far enough. But here's the thing. When we go too far and then we push a little bit further, we're only hurting ourselves. That's the beauty of the story of the prodigal son. He went so far. He said he went to a faraway place. There's a reason Jesus used this, these words in these stories. But here's the thing. When the prodigal son finally comes to his senses in the pig pen and comes back, what does the father do? He cuts off the repentance speech, which blows my mind. Father, I've sinned against you and haven't. Nope. Servants bring the robe, the ring, and the sandals. Why? His status never changed as far as I'm concerned. You can never go too far. But the thing is, why would we even try? When we know how much God loves us and how, how huge his grace is, we don't go too far. We stay within that grace. That's the thing that keeps us secure and keeps us centered. So benefit number two is adoption into the family. Benefit number three, just a couple more. This is beautiful. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Say, I'm free from sin. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Titus 2.14, this is beautiful. It says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Who gave himself for us? Jesus. Where's your redemption come from? Jesus, not you. Are we getting it? Look at this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Not only did he redeem you to adopt you into the family, to show you your complete total forgiveness, he also wanted to redeem you from every lawless deed. In other words, he wanted to buy you back out of the bondage of sin, get you out from a place where you listen to sin versus the voice of God. Look at this. And to purify for himself, stop there, I'm going to do it again. Who's purified? By who? There it is again. Look at all these gifts, man. This is so cool. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, get these last four words of this phrase, zealous for good deeds. This word zealous means eagerly desirous. We are literally changed in this process of redemption into those who are eager to do good deeds. We desire to love others. We desire to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We desire to pursue peace at all costs. 
Did you see this? So literally the desire is given to you. It brings a whole new meaning to the Old Testament scripture that says God gives us the desires of our heart. I've heard that quoted before about, man, thank you, Lord. I got that jet and that Cadillac. Hallelujah. No, no, no. God gives you the desires. The desire for good deeds. The desire to live out who you truly are. Isn't that awesome? We're literally changed into those who are eager to do good deeds. This is another benefit of redemption. And number four, last but certainly not least, benefit number four, awakening to the indwelling of Holy Spirit. There's this point in the journey where we begin to awaken. Again, Paul said, in him we live, move, and have our being. I mean, God at the beginning of time in the creation story, the whole idea was that he breathed his life into man and man became a living soul. Yes? The only reason that you're living right now is because the breath of life is in you. Come on. I know this can go against some of our theology and ideas because so many times we've separated us and them. But the more you get in the scripture and you begin to understand it, you're like, wait a minute. Jesus was fully inclusive and everyone is welcome to the table. The only difference between someone who maybe isn't serving God and following God is that maybe you've awakened to the truth of what's really there and they haven't yet. Which completely changes our tone and maybe the way that we go about soul winning or witnessing. Because I used to think, well, you know, my idea of, of soul winning is going and telling these filthy, rotten people that God can barely stand, that if they pray this prayer, they'll be okay. But what if it's, oh, you're a lost family member who doesn't know where they belong? That's why Paul uses orphan language. How many know orphans don't know who their family is? Listen, I'm just trying to go with scripture here. And sometimes I found that when you actually study and go with scripture, you go against man-made theology. Sometimes that's tough because you lose friends. You lose clout. I'm just serious. I mean, that's just what happens. People leave the church. People leave relationships. And you're like, I mean, as a pastor, I struggle with this. I'm like, but... Jesus, I'm just trying to share scripture here. I, I'm, I'm saying your words and what you've said. I, I don't know it all. I could be wrong on some stuff. I'll admit that. But I'm telling you, I dig really hard to make sure I get as much possible not wrong. I really do. And I will say this, that if you listen to my preaching or my messages from five or six or ten years ago, you'd be like, wow, he believes differently. Yeah, it's a journey where you change belief systems and ideas. And how many times have I encouraged you, don't get stuck in a box. Just because you heard a certain denomination or a certain way of theology all your life, it doesn't mean that's all there is. Don't be afraid to say, Holy Spirit, show me. Is there more? Is there something else? Because the same old stuff, I'm not just at the point, that's just, it's just boring. I want a life where I listen to Holy Spirit in a way that even draws me to, out to places that are a little uncomfortable sometimes. But at least I'm, I'm hearing voice of spirit and saying, okay, what's next? I seem to have some good foundational truth. What about this? And man, those moments seem to happen. You read something, you see it differently and you go, oh no, here we go. You close the book and you go, I gotta just, I gotta think on this for a minute. It's challenging my belief system again. 
But Paul even deals with this with the Corinthians. Again, this is the church, the crazy church we talked about earlier, whom were doing some crazy stuff. I heard one preacher say it was like Vegas on steroids. I mean, there was some crazy stuff going on. He calls them saints. But look at what he says in chapter 6, starting verse 19. He starts out with this word, what? Now, imagining Paul's having this conversation for, it was a letter. There wasn't chapters, but it's pretty deep into the letter because it's six chapters in as far as we can see. And he's talking to them about who they are and what Jesus has done for them and, and trying to see themselves as these new creations in Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 5, 17. But then he goes on and he says, what? Like, are you guys not getting this? Know ye not that your body is the temple of Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? I want us to catch what's going on here. This isn't just, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. No, there's a conversation going on where there's this crazy stuff going on. They're operating outside of who they truly are. And he's like, man, guys, what, what, what's going on? Do you not see that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, that, that literally God lives within you? God animates you. Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you're not listening. And I can tell because of your actions, there's no fruit being shown or born. He says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, this is so cool, glorify God in your body. You see, he's not giving them a list of to-dos. He's saying, if this is already who you are, then allow it to manifest by glorifying God in your body, how you live and in your spirit, which, by the way, again, are God's. God owns them. I love this translation. Listen to this in the Mirror Bible. Do you not realize... I, do, do this, do me a favor, close your eyes for a moment. And I want, you to, I want you to imagine that Paul is speaking right to you, inspired by Holy Spirit. Do you not realize that your body is the sacred shrine of the Spirit of God echoing within you? You do not own your life. You were bought and paid for. All of you are his. Now listen to this. Live your life conscious of how irreplaceably priceless you are. You're, you host God in your skin. Now look up here. Did you catch that? Live your life conscious of how irreplaceably priceless you are. That's powerful. It's so good. See, the Spirit dwells within us. The Spirit's always speaking always leading, always guiding, but really it comes down to, are we listening? Or do we even see that we're the temple of God? That God literally lives within us. It's so beautiful. I think this is what Paul tells us when he says to live a spirit-led life. He says you can live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. You have a choice. But will we listen to voice of spirit? Will we it's, it's crazy in the scripture, we get this, this idea that for years and years, man has listened to the voice of sin rather than the voice of God. And Paul's saying, listen, we have a choice here. So again, you might ask the question, well, pastor, if I'm completely forgiven and if I've been adopted into the family and there's all these great benefits, you know, I'm, uh, well, awaken to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That, that's where I think it really begins. Maybe it wasn't an accident that the last point becomes the most important point. 
that you see that you are born of God, that you're made in his image and likeness. And from that place, standing from that place, we can begin to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Bottom line, you've been redeemed. Say, I've been redeemed. The benefits are we're forgiven of sin. We're brought into the family. We see the truth of who we are, our true origin. We're freed from the bondage of sin. We no longer have to do what we used to do because we no longer have to listen to that false voice that's telling us this is who you are because this is what you should do and this is how you should act and this is how you should speak because we're indwelled with spirit who's always speaking to us. And for me, this is the message of Christmas. This is why Jesus was born. What was his message? Repent, change your mind for the kingdom of God is within you. You just don't see it yet. If you want to inherit eternal life, see who you truly are. Begin to walk that out and you'll have the best life here and now, even into eternity. Amen. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for scripture. We thank you so much for really this revelation of Jesus and who Jesus is to us. I pray this morning and really every morning, anytime anyone is able to hear anything from Faith City Church, that it begins to challenge our thinking begins to help us in a paradigm shift where maybe some old belief systems or ideas we had, we have to really wrestle with those things and say, Holy Spirit, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I I really want to follow your voice. What is it that you're speaking to me? And maybe for some of us, it's as simple as you're valuable. You have purpose. You have a calling on your life. And the calling of God is without repentance. We, we don't have to, to, to give it up because we didn't do good enough or try hard enough. We just get to enter into what he's called us to be and who we are. We thank you for that. We thank you for the message of Christmas, a message that we've been redeemed. Just one facet of it. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back out of slavery. We no longer have to think the way we used to think about ourselves about you and about others. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to our hearts this morning within us, that voice that cries, Abba, Father, that we do see our worth. We do see our true origin in you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.